Sherry's about ready to read to you uh, a passage of scripture. It's from Psalms. It's the 46th Psalm. And uh, you can find it in your bulletin where we're inviting you to turn in the back of your hymnal. Because as we go through this piece of scripture, we're actually going to be singing in response to it. So I invite you to turn to that page. The Psalms are a collection of writings that reflect many, many years, over centuries of years in the history of God's people. And they are, in essence, poetry. So people generally respond to the Psalms based on whether they like poetry or not. Either you like poetry or you tend to not to like poetry. But either way, how you stand on poetry, reading of the Psalms is a glimpse at seeing the deep emotional relationship that God's people had with God, which meant that there are some psalms that are really hard to read because they're very depressing. They reflect just the pain and anguish that sometimes we know in the faith life, sometimes with what we're going through and sometimes trying to figure out where God is. Other psalms are victorious or celebratory. They, they talk about God's blessing. They talk about the richness of God and the power of God, and this is one of those psalms. As poetry, oftentimes... They were sung in worship. That is to say, they are songs. They are lyrics. And this song was likely sung in worship on uh, days when they would celebrate their knowledge that their ability to be strong as a nation and as an individual was based on how strong their God was. So I invite you to hear uh, Psalm 46 as we share it and as we sing this response, which comes out of Psalm 46 as well. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it at the dawn of the day. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. God's voice resounds. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. A mighty fortress is our God. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. Who makes wars cease to the end of the earth, breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and burns the shields with fire. Be still, and know that I am God. 
I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Gracious and loving God, we offer this time to you, this whole worship, our songs, our prayers, reflections of my of my sharing of what this passage means as far as I best understand it, all the stuff that we brought with us into worship, I'll give it to you, take it from us, receive it with the intent by which we've given it, and Perfect it by grace, so that we might be your people blessed and prepared for holy living in the days to come. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Discovering the truth about ourselves is rarely as dramatic as it was last week for Julian Hernandez. Some of you heard the story, Julian Hernandez... 18-year-old living in Ohio, applying to the Ohio State University, looking forward to going. And in the application process, he and his high school counselor discovered there was something odd about his application process, discovered his social security number didn't jive with who he said he was. And looking at it, they discovered that Julian Hernandez was actually on the child-missing uh, list, uh, the, a national list for children who are missing or exploited. They discovered, to his surprise, in trying to apply for college, that Julian Hernandez had been taken from his mother and that family in Alabama back when he was five years old and for 13 years lived in Ohio, not realizing that he had family in Alabama, not realizing that his dad had taken him to Ohio and changed his name and identity and changed the name and identity of his son and raised him for 13 years without him knowing his real history. Now, you know, news reports are what they are, and so far what I've heard is is that he actually was raised well by his dad, except for the fact the truth about his life was shaded from him. We don't know all that was going on that created that separation. There's a lot there we don't know. So mostly what we can do is pray for everyone involved in that situation, including Julian, who's now knowing his real given name and trying to make sense out of who he is and even more trying to understand what this new understanding of his history will say about his future. The lesson we can take from this story, though, is this. 
Learning about our history can change our tomorrow. And when we don't fully understand our history, something's missing that also affects our tomorrow. The psalmist in Psalm 46 knows this to be true. The psalmist knew his history. He knew that God, the God that they worshipped, had been a God actively in the lives of the people who were worshipping God, had delivered them countless times over and over again in their history, had seemed to be present to them on days of great glory, and seemed even on days when people wouldn't pay attention to God, that God remained faithful. He knew this to be true. He knew this God was faithful in all situations because he knew that had been his story and their story, their history. And so he's able to write these words, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult, We will not fear. God is our refuge and strength. But you know, to write that passionately, to write with that deep conviction, is more than just knowing your history. I want to be really transparent here. I'm a history major. That's sort of where I go. So I tend to really think history matters. But I also am confessional to know that history as just knowledge is really not that powerful. Do you remember memorizing those dates long ago? And some of you loved that. And some of you thought it was like I thought of calculus. But when history moves from being data that you know to informing your identity, when it moves out of your head, and it starts to be a part of who you are as a person. Then it has power. Now, how did, the, how did the psalmist gain that power from his history? Well, he tells us in verse 10. In verse 10, he says this. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. Be still. Be still on purpose. Be still with intent. Now, when's the last time you were still? I don't mean bored. I don't mean caught in traffic. I don't mean at the end of a long line with nothing to do. I mean... When you intentionally said, wait a minute, I'm stopping everything, I'm tuning out all these other voices, I'm setting my calendar aside, and right now, I intentionally want to be present to the moment. I simply want to be still. And in that stillness, I want to soak in everything that I'm receiving in that stillness, quieting my mind. And even more, when's the last time you did that with the intent of just being alone with God? The psalmist figured out that that's how he came to know the real power of God. By being still. 
It's like every relationship we have. The relationships that we invest our time in are the ones that become the richest to us. The ones where if it's honestly, you know, that wonderful term we use, quality time, which says that we figure out as a culture how to have junk time with each other. But when you have quality time with someone with intent to be in relationship with them, you know the relationship changes and grows. It is blessed. It is the same with God. That is exactly what what the psalmist is telling us. Now I want to tell you, I want to be confessional here. A long time in my life, I didn't know that. Now I took time with God, be clear, but that time was spent primarily with me taking time to tell God what God needed to know, what God needed to do, and more importantly, what I needed God to do. So I would take my time to run off my list and say to God, this is this, 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 and this, and this, and this. See ya, bye. And then I'd go back into the fray. And once I jumped back in the fray, I would evaluate the faithfulness of God by whether or not God did my checklist or not. I was treating God like some kind of a holy concierge, putting in my request for how I wanted to spend the weekend and hoping he came up with a great list. It wasn't until later that I discovered that really God has a higher expectation of my relationship with him than barking orders to God. It was John Wesley who taught me that. I was a sophomore in college, and I started reading John Wesley in a, in a class on John Wesley. Go figure. And I was reading, and literally, literally, I remember the moment when I read this passage. And it spoke to me that Wesley figured out that how you come into a relationship with God is you take time to be alone with God. What a concept. And that if I'm going to grow in my relationship with God... For the rest of my life, it would be both a balance of seeking out a personal relationship with God and Jesus Christ, but also witnessing that love of Jesus Christ and social witness and justice. That those go hand in hand. That's, that's who we are created to be as a people of God, Wesley said. Now, how it happened for him is that Wesley... Uh, was an educated Anglican priest. He was ordained. He'd been serving in the church. He could preach sermons. He could write theological statements. He was brilliant, and yet he did not know the love of Christ in his life. And he saw other people living their faith life with strength and power. He saw them having security and peace in their heart when they went through terrible times. And he thought, that's not who I am. I'd like to have that in my life. So he began to try to figure out how to have that in his life. And he did it like most theologians would. He went to other theologians to talk about it. Let's think it through. Let's make it an analytical problem for which there obviously has to be a solution. And he worked the problem. He kept trying to figure it out until finally one night, after he had all this conversation and still didn't have any, any results in his life, he writes in his journal these words. In May of 1738, he writes, In the evening, I went very unwillingly. Now, folks, have you ever unwillingly gone to church? Amen. Yeah, I know that's right. Give me an amen if you've ever unwillingly gone to church. Or a church function. Oh, go ahead and give me an amen. It's okay. 
I will be honest with you, the alarm went off this morning. I was unwilling. Well, he went unwillingly. I don't know why he even went, but he went. Maybe he felt obligated. Maybe someone was dragging him. I don't know. He didn't really want to be there. And he went and sat down at 7 o'clock at night. This is a church meeting at 7 o'clock at night. Okay, you're already tired. You don't really want to be there. This is prime moment for God to work. And I went to this church meeting on Aldersgate Street where somebody was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. How many of you have read Luther's epistle to Romans? The intro. I know, Jeff, you have. I knew you had. So Jeff knows what I'm about to say is true. The reason you should read Luther's epistle to the Romans is when you can no longer watch TV and let it help you still go to sleep. And you would read it, most of you would read it and go, oh, wow. So here's what God has to work with. A guy who's unwilling to be there, listening to somebody read something that most of us would just completely find utterly boring, except. I listened to this guy read about a quarter before nine. He got there at seven. Now we're now at 845. So if we get out late today, I don't want to hear one word. (laughs) 8.45. While the leader was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. Oh, it's not about intellect alone, though I think intellect is critically important. It's about having faith and simply accepting the love that God wants to give you. He says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. After seeking out the answer, he went to a church meeting he didn't want to go to, sat there for almost two hours listening to stuff that you and I would have already been asleep listening to, but in that moment he felt his heart strangely warmed. Because in that moment, he reclaimed his history. He knew that God had blessed him. He knew that God had given him a family that had taught him the basics of faith. He knew what it was to be a part of a community that worshiped God. He just didn't know what it was to love God. And on that night, when he took time to be still with God, maybe even a little unwillingly, God worked in his life and his heart was changed. Heart strangely warmed. When your heart is strangely warmed, all the rest of your life changes. And you change, like the psalmist. You find strength you didn't know you had before when your heart is strangely warmed, along with the truth that's in your head and the history that you know. We, uh, for the last several years, have been doing something in a new members class. We get together and we talk a little bit about the church and we talk about, you know, what the history of the Methodist church is and what this congregation is doing, that kind of thing. But then we also asked for folks to do a timeline. I know you can't see that line very well back from there, so I'll make it a little bit bigger. Okay, see that timeline there? Can you see it? This is audience participation time. Okay. All right. This is your birth right here. 
This is your birthday. This is when you were born, okay? This is your lifeline to today. Today. Got it? You with me? Audience participation time. Take out a piece of paper and a pencil or pen or whatever and draw that line. Don't worry about it being fancy because I'm actually going to have you do this more later this week. This is just to get your toe in the water. So you've got this timeline. The question is on this timeline, identify the times of the highs and lows of your experience and knowledge of God being with you. Identify the times in your life, highs and lows, of the experience of God being with you. So, for example, I was raised in a faith home and a church home, and I had a pretty happy faith life, and so that's a plus for me. Um, they didn't work. I, lived, I went to India for a while and learned some things. I had, went to Duke and had some great experiences there. I got married, and that's here. Here. It's actually here, honey, but I can't get that high. Okay. Had Emily and Elizabeth. Okay, those are all good things, right? Had two close friends of mine, both pastors, at different times over a course of about two years commit suicide. I struggled with losing them. Had some experiences in my ministry where I've been with people in the most horrific of tragedies. on my knees because there was nothing I could do. But also in those tragedies, discovered God's grace was more than sufficient and the people of God rallied in ways that just were beyond human. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you plot, where was God? Some of those you didn't know where God was. Some of them you did. The point of this exercise is this. God has been with you. Sometimes in ways and places we forget. One of the best clues I was ever given about how to do this was this. And it is simply, when was God with you? When did you laugh? And when did you cry? That doesn't mean God wasn't with you all the time. But when you laughed and when you cried, you know for a fact, I can tell you that God was with you. Something happens every time we do this in new members' classes, and some of you are out there, I know this, you're going to back me up on this. Whenever we do this, and people take time and they really reflect on it, we always have, when we share our stories with each other, right? We always laugh, and we always cry. It's just inevitable. Maybe it's because we don't take the time to be still with God to remember the fact of how much God has been with us. Maybe it's an awareness of the fact that we've been playing too loose with that fact and taking it, for too, taking it granted for too much. 
And maybe that's why this past spring, the question we asked the congregation had so much power. Lord, what do you want to do through me? Now, we ask it in light of the capital campaign, and some people thought, well, it's just a, that's a money question. Wow, did that turn out not to be true? It was about our life, which is why after the campaign was put to bed and done, people have been coming to me saying that darn question and making changes in their life, in the direction of well, what they're going to be, what they want to do, because they've figured out that God really does want to do something through you. God really did make you with intent. God really did give you capacities and capabilities and possibilities. And God wants to work through you to make stuff happen to God's glory and for your benefit. That's what the psalmist knew, which is why he could profess how amazing this God was and how strong this God was. That's a part of our history that we need to remember. It's your history you need to reclaim. We sent out from the church this past week this brochure, and I know a lot of you haven't received it yet, and you'll receive it in the next week. I don't know how the post office works, but you know, you'll get it. And if you aren't on our mailing list, want to get a copy, we have them in the back of the church when you walk out. It's a, it's a really wonderful uh, brochure that the staff put together that talks about what's happening right now in the life of this church. And I'm going to invite you to read through it very carefully. To remember the fact that you are part of something that is so much bigger than any one of us or any group of us. The way God is working right now. You know, the life of the church here goes from 1841. And from 1841 till now, we've had highs and we've had lows. Right now... We're somewhere here. Because God is wanting to do stuff through us. In that brochure is this little brochure that talks about the power of gratitude and it's actually functioning as our pledge card for 2016. I'm going to invite you to take time to really look at this brochure, read this, and then fill out your commitment to what you're going to give financially to support the ministry of the church next year. And we're asking you to do that by reclaiming your history, remembering this, and being still before God before you go to this. Because that's where blessing occurs. That's where lives get changed. So my takeaway from today's sermon is this. This week, I really invite you to bless yourself by taking time on a sheet of paper and filling this out for yourself. And if you have the opportunity, share it with somebody. That's the richness of it. Tell somebody else your story. Take time to look at that brochure. And one other thing. Angie Shy, um, who's responsible for helping make our sanctuary filled up with these pictures, and all around the sanctuary right now these pictures exist, and they're from the history of this church, and There's some that go back in the 1800s. There's one over here, people standing around on this field before the building existed about the desire of the church to be here, and people in youth group retreats and so on. While she was digging out for those old pictures, she came up and she said, Hey, Rick, see this. Now, you can't see it very well because it's smaller than the size of a deck of cards. 
It's just one little card. If you want to look at it later, I'll make sure I have it with me. The reason she brought it to me is it's from the Clarkston Methodist Episcopal Church, which is what we used to be called before we became the United Methodist Church. And it's a pledge card to the ministry of the church from November 19, 1870. 1870. The church had been around for 29 years when this was was made. And on the back, it tells you that in 1870, the pastor's salary was $600. So that hasn't changed much. But (laughs) it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. Just kidding. Just kidding. Calm down. It also says the church expenses for that year, $50. See, that was back in the day when you paid the pastor literally to do everything. That's what you did, right? And so you paid the pastor to live and do everything, and 50 bucks ran the church. That time has changed, thanks be to God. (laughs) But on the front, what really matters to me the most is that it's signed by somebody paying. We're still trying to figure out the first name because it's really hard to see. So either Mr. or Mrs. Payne filled out this pledge card in 1870. Here's what I know. I know when they filled this out, they weren't thinking of you and me. They weren't aware of the fact of how much they were investing themselves into something that was so much bigger than them. I hope they realized that in filling out this pledge card, they were becoming a part of something bigger than them in the life of that congregation, this congregation. I hope that before they filled out this pledge card, they took time to be still with God so they weren't tipping the concierge, but rather they were worshiping the God who was blessing them. This is our history. And you need to know it. Because what we're doing today is a part of that history. And one day, thanks be to God, will be somebody else's history. And what we do matters. Because we know it matters. Because they were just singing right there. It matters. Take time. Take time to read. Take time to be still before God. Because the psalmist was right. God is indeed our refuge and strength. Thanks be to God.